Hey, thank you for joining me again for another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dan. Today, I'm joined once again by Majid Shabrailov. Majid, thank you so much for coming on again. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me again. You're well known for doing a lot of posts on SwiftUI with Swift with Majid, but I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself before we get started. Yeah, so I'm an iOS developer. I build apps related to health. And I tried to cover my experience on my blog. So I mostly build apps in SwiftUI at the moment. So all mainly the content on my blog is all about SwiftUI. Thank you so much for coming on again. I'm a big fan of your apps. I've been using FastBot and we've been chatting on Twitter about FastBot quite a bit. So glad to have you on. So today I wanted to focus on this idea that you posted on your blog about micro apps or a micro apps architecture. You want to kind of explain what exactly you mean by that? Yeah. So first of all, I want to mention that uh, the first touch to the micro apps architecture for me was when I find the article by Geolodi. Uh, this was the meet the micro apps architecture. Yeah. So many years ago. And we've had Geo on the show talking yeah. about Swift UI testing. So yeah. And many years ago, I have some experience with web services and I just read this article and thought, so this is like web services, but for mobile apps. Yeah. And it's kind of good because it solves some of our problems that we have uh, right now at the moment. So micro apps architecture, it's like microservices, but for mobile apps. So we divide the app into many modules and combine them together into the single app. So, and it has its own benefits, pros and cons, and we'll cover it together. What is a good way of knowing whether something should be divided up into a module? What's a good indication or code smell for that? Yeah, so basically I start dividing my app uh, into a few modules. So first I start with the core layer. Like, for example, I can have foundation where I have stuff like extensions for string, for numbers. Another module, I can have networking layer. Another module can be storage layer or caching layer. So first of all, I starting with this foundation stuff, like many small modules that I will include into high-level modules. So another idea to extract into a single model, for example, if you have a feature, in your app, for example, it might be search feature. Yeah. And you can extract it into a dedicated module. Or maybe I build app at the moment that show that allows you to track your food. And there is a model uh, called uh, food details that I include, uh, import to many others, other modules. And this is just reusable piece of code that I want to keep in one place. And don't want to compile it every time because it doesn't change too often, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How do you avoid having like cross dependencies when you're separating everything out into different modules? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So first of all, uh, it's really hard to, yeah, when you start to extracting models, you think that, okay, everything should be a single module, right? But uh, it's not a good idea because adds a lot of complexity to your project. And I have basically an app, really cool app called Build Graph. I think uh, 
we should add it to the show notes. Yeah. So this is this app shows shows nice charts, nice graphs about the uh, Swift package dependencies in your project. Oh, cool! Is this a this is a Mac app or a command line tool? Or? Yeah, this is this is Mac app. Okay. Yeah, this is Mac app, and it's oh, uh, all the arrows, all the circles for your dependencies, and it's uh, clearly indicate you when you are uh, doing something crazy. When you have too many modules or too small modules that you have to include, import everywhere because it doesn't make any sense to extract stuff like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, my my whole thing is like when you separate stuff out, like I try to keep them ignorant, I guess, if you know what I mean, of like what the other module how it does what it does. And just that's where like protocol oriented programming really comes in and just keeping that stuff separated and using protocols as a way to, to understand what, what the, like how they communicate, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yep. One of the things I noticed from your articles is we had like an episode a couple of years ago with Abby uh, about modularization. And back then Swift packages weren't as big of a deal, but she talked about like how she separated her apps into frameworks but I noticed in your article, you had a big emphasis on Swift Package Manager. I guess, why is that? And like, how did you find using Swift Packages as a way to modularize your app into micro apps? How comfortable did you get with that? Yeah, so Swift Package Manager became the heart of this approach, but it doesn't make... But uh, you can use any other modularization approach. So you can use Exe frameworks or just targets. It's up to you. But I find a Swift Package Manager is... Just a great solution for this uh, micro apps architecture approach. So one of the benefits that uh, we don't have Xcode project file here and uh, all the stuff just declared in the package that's Swift. Yeah. And you should not mention all the files in the project. You just uh, mention folders that you need. Yeah. So you just get rid of a lot of Git conflicts when somebody on your team added another file and you removed, just removed another file and you have a conflict. So it solved this problem, but it also allows you easily create folders and define them as independent targets. So targets in the language of Swift package manager is just a module. So it's just like... It's just directory under sources. Yep. Yeah, this is just a folder in the on the file system, and Swift Package Manager maintains it at as separated module, and you can easily just uh, create dependencies, list all the modules you have, and list the dependencies. Like if you have two modules uh, that share the another module module as dependency, you can just define it in package.swift file. Yeah, and this is just another Swift file, so it's easy to maintain. This is readable code. This is not something like Xcode project file, which is also uh, string for, uh, also readable, but it's not too easy to understand what's going on there. Yeah, good luck merging that. Like, I, I don't even use Xcode projects anymore. Like, I just have a bunch of Swift packages, and I use, like, Xcode gen to just generate the Xcode project. And like, there's like one Swift file in my app, but everything is in a Swift package. So I'm like in the same boat. And I just like, like you said, like, I don't want to deal with Xcode projects. It's, it's kind of like the, the, what, like the ugly, ugly brother, I guess, of like storyboards where it's like, nobody understands what the heck is going on and good luck merging it. And like, yeah, 
it's just nice to get away with that kind of dependency. And like you could do a lot as far as Swift packages, as far as building and testing without even opening Xcode if you need to. So yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat on that. Yeah, so it's it's really similar to a storyboard problem, but the good thing about storyboards is that you can easily get rid of storyboard and do anything just in code, right? But with Xcode project files, it's not possible. You have to have at least small part of your code in uh, define it in Xcode project file, right? Even if you use Swift package manager. Right. Hey folks, I want to let you know that I have a YouTube channel now. I have been posting episodes of Empower Apps on YouTube with actual real video of our interviews uncut, completely there. And it's been a fantastic experience. And I think a big part of that is the service that I've been using, which is Riverside FM. If you want to do any live video shows or even recorded video shows as I do, Riverside is the perfect service to use. One of the things I've really liked about it is the quality of the video recording has been far superior to other services out there. And also, I don't have to upload video when I record. It all does it within the browser. All I have to do is use Chrome and just open up a session with my guest. I send them a link and I get going. And it's been a fantastic experience using Riverside. The quality of the video is great. It's really easy for my guests to use, and I don't need to upload or do anything like that. And then once the recording is done and uploaded, using all the stuff within the browser itself, I don't have to do any of that manually. I can just download it and edit it, or if I have to edit the audio, I can do that as well. So if you want to do any video stuff, or you want to do a recorded show, or you want to do a live show, I'm thinking at some point about maybe streaming some of these recordings as they actually happen. We'll see about that. I highly recommend checking out Riverside. Use the link in the show notes below. I have a special affiliate link. All you have to do, click on that link in the show notes. Let them know that that way they know that I sent you. Just give it a try. It's been fantastic for me. Click on the link in the show notes and let them know that I sent you. That's why I use Xcode Gen or Twist is that way I don't have to like check in my project. I can just check in the specs and then it builds the Xcode project every time. So you had, I I was just like kind of like looking at your articles and you kind of have a different like classification of different modules. You have some that are features, some that contain resources and like strings essentially kind of, do you want to explain how that works and what you mean by those different categorizations of modules? Yeah. So as I say, so you can have foundational modules. So for example, it might be a not networking layer, like uh, you, you are important. You are going to import networking layer in a lot of other modules, right? Actually, every other module which where you are going to make an HTTP request, for example. And you can have just another type of foundational module, which is extensions on your on Swift types that we have in standard library, like collections, strings, and stuff like that. Yeah, so this type of modules we're going to import a lot of times into other modules. But you also have uh, feature modules. It's, it is a much broader aspect. So this is like... When you have an app where you have login flow, it might be a login feature. 
which have, for example, or authentication feature. It contains login screen, registration, email verification, stuff like that. And this can live in a single module because usually you don't need only authorization like uh, email for voting. You need all this stuff, right? Like login flow and uh, registration. So it can live in a single module and you can build a dedicated app small app, micro apps that have only this authorization module included and just provide you to quality assurance team to verify that everything works well. So this is the difference between feature modules and foundation modules. How many modules do you have in a typical app of yours? And how how big are they, I guess, each one? Yeah, it, it all depends on the app. But yeah, in, the, uh, in the, my latest app, I have about 30 modules at the moment. 30? Yeah. Okay. And how, how many files are each in each of these modules? About uh, seven, eight files, at least. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but I also have uh, huge, mo- not huge, but big modules. Like, for example, I have a health module, which maintain all the health kit related stuff, all the calculations, all the manipulating with the health kit storage, fetching statistics and stuff like that. And there is much more files, about uh, 50 files there. Yeah, so it all depends on the usage. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you obviously do a lot of health kits, so it kind of makes sense. How has it been as far as like SwiftUI is concerned? I'm using that with Swift Package Manager. Like, do things like you have no problems with like live previews or anything like that? Or uh, have you run into any issues there? Yeah, so you might have an issue if you are importing module that have resources. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of it can it can be a problem for you, but uh, there is a workaround uh, that solves the issue. So, so there is no anything you can't solve at the moment, and everything can be solved with some workarounds. And we hope that with the new Xcode after DubDub, we'll will not this uh, yeah will not do this stuff to show the previews. Yeah, uh, yeah, live previews. I mean, the one thing I've found is I will create I will create the UI in the Swift package, but the live preview will be in a project, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it'll be like in the actual outside of the Swift package. And then that way I've been had issues with live. That's my workaround for live previews. I don't know what other workarounds you've, you've run into. Yeah, so basically you have a problem when you're, I have a problem with uh, when I try to accessing um, local resources from the package, from the module, and there was a problem with the bundle because Xcode generates bundle module bundles for every module, and you have to create a because of value types you can't access this bundle identifier stuff like that, and you have to just create a, some stop class stub reference type to access this uh, bundle stuff. Yeah, exactly. Have you done testing, I guess, by using this micro app architecture? Has has it helped in that way? Or has it made it more challenging? Or, or what have you found there? Can we go back to previous topic? Because uh, I think uh, I forgot to mention that Previews in micro apps are one of the benefits of micro apps architecture that previews load so fast because you don't need to compile all the stuff, uh, all the source code. What do you mean by that exactly? How is it faster? 
Yeah, it's it's a lot faster, right? Because, for example, uh, when you have a dedicated module and you want to show a preview, uh, Xcode doesn't compile all the project. It just compiles the dedicated module and the preview okay. uh, loads, just opens uh, show faster. Really? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. What other pros have you found uh, besides that? Yeah, so... For me, uh, the best the best thing about uh, micro apps architecture is the compile time improvement. So you just compile the stuff that changed, and that's why previous uh, runs a lot faster. But the second thing thing about uh, micro apps architecture I really love is the way it allows you to separate concerns, right? Because when you are building an app that lives in the single module, everything is internal but internal in terms of a single module means public right because you can access anything uh, that is internal in the current module and you have uh, to think twice to model your public interfaces yeah it allows you to bring a better uh, api design to your project right and i think it goes back to like protocol oriented programming and ideas like like you said, everything is separated out. And what I found is like it helps with like unit testing because then I don't, it teaches me to test in isolation, which I think is one of the big challenges with unit testing is people are like, oh, but how do I deal with the database? How do I deal with networking? It's like, no, you want to test it in each piece in isolation. Like you said, separation of concerns on that. As far as like building and like, Deploying, I guess not deploying isn't the word I want to use. Archiving and uploading has that worked pretty smoothly in Xcode, even though you're using all these like Swift packages, so to speak. Yeah, it works pretty well. I don't have any problems with that. Okay, but let me go back to unit testing topic. Is it okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of testing, and with uh, micro apps architecture, it's even better because when you have a small dedicated module it's so easy to cover it with tests, right? When you have a big module, you think, oh, so many tests I have to write. But when you have just a few classes or a few files and uh, you can easily just uh, cover them in, uh, with tests and just check your coverage and just get another motivation when you see that uh, you have pretty well coverage here. Was there anything else you wanted to mention? I want to make sure we cover everything you wanted to talk about when it comes to to uh, micro apps and the benefits. So when you work in a big team, for example, when are you working on a huge project, you can have multiple teams working on multiple different features and uh, every team can just deploy to test flight or any other sources as a source to your quality assurance team. So you can just build a lot of micro apps that, uh, can be combined in the single app when you are just deploying to App Store, but you can uh, deliver it to your quality assurance team as small chunks of your app to verify if it's working well without waiting to uh, for other team to finalize its uh, own tasks, right? You, you can just uh, finish your model, build your micro app and uh, deliver to your quality assurance team. Yeah, it's funny you're talking about that. We just had an article we put out on the Bright Digital website about about that and like breaking things apart into smaller pieces. One thing actually I wanted to ask is it's called micro apps architecture. Is it really like 
each Swift package is an app or it's just a module? I want to make sure we get that clarification. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure. No, no, no. Uh, not every module is an app because you can have foundational stuff, which is not, uh, you are not going to deliver, for example, a networking layer, right? But uh, every feature, uh, we can say that every feature, feature module can be delivered. It's a piece of the app or a component of the app, maybe? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to make sure we made that clarification because I feel like people are like, how do you do an app in a Swift package? Because you can't really do an app yeah. in a Swift package. But you're, these are each, excuse me, these are each individual libraries or modules or Swift packages, which which serve a function that could be foundational, but in some ways could just be like a feature or component of an app that is kind of a single screen almost in a way, right? Yeah, for example... Uh... I'm working on the, as I said, on the food logging app. And in my app, I have a feature, search feature, which is just looking for food and show you calorie stuff like uh, macronutrients and stuff like that. And I just uh, use it for many months on my phone, just uh, as delivered, as dedicated feature, as nice. micro app, just to understand what I eat uh, without combining it with other features to build all the app. And like the, when you put it, when you integrate it into your app, your app isn't going to like care about how, how it does the search feature. It just knows it can plug it in and that, you know, there might be certain protocol implementations you need, but for the most part, it's ignorant of what the search feature is. And like you said, separation of concerns there with, with the search feature and the rest of the app. I want to talk about dependency injection. I do it like I have like some sort of like the part of going with the protocol oriented approach and separation and concerns is that everything is a protocol and I kind of do like the def like I use initializers with defaults and optionals. So that way I can in testing, I can have a mock that I could put in. I'm curious, like what approach do you take when it comes to this, like micro apps architecture stuff and how you do a dependency injection there? Yeah, so I tried to build my feature modules completely is isolated. So I want to build a micro app from feature module and I want to put inside all the stuff it needs. So I don't use protocols for dependency injection because I believe that protocols is a good way to model stuff when you have a lot of instances, a lot of different classes. For example, uh, collection type have a lot of Collection protocol has a lot of implementations, right? Like our array strings and stuff like that. But when you have a protocol for just real implementation and mock, I'm not sure that it's a good way to build stuff like that. And I use closures. So I just... Oh, yeah, nice. I like that. So when I have a feature model, it just have a struct, struct fields with a few closures that it depends on. That's it. When you... some when you have a coordination layer, you just populate these uh, closures with the functions from your service classes or stuff like that. Because, for example, well, in my search feature, uh, I don't want to put inside all the health module stuff. I just uh, put the closure that dedicated to health search. Does it make sense? Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, like, the problem that I've run into, like, I think I should do that approach more often, first of all. But I think the problem I've run into with with 
depending on only a closure is sometimes I want, I want a type to do multiple related things or it stores something for instance. And in that case, like a protocol, you'd have, you kind of have to do a protocol, but like you said, if it's one method or one function, like closures make complete sense. Yeah. I like that. I like that approach a lot. Yeah. And uh, so you have two benefits here, actually. So first of all, your feature module, not only feature module, it just can be a view model or something uh, like that. Uh, so your view model doesn't have access to all the stuff. For example, if I have a search view model, uh, which is uh, which searching uh, using HealthKit, you don't have access to all the methods from my health uh, health store, right? Like savings, statistics, and stuff. You just have a closure dedicated to search. That's it. So you can't accident accidentally call other methods. You just have only one right. way to do. But the second benefit is the mocking. So it's really hard to mock the protocol when you have a bunch of uh, methods. There, right? For example, if I extract the health store into a protocol, so it will have a lot of functions for storing, for saving, for fetching, for calculating. And, so. and if I want to mark just searching, I have to stop all these uh, functions, right? Hey folks, it's that time of the year again. Conferences are starting up. We already just had the announcement for WWDC. But there's one developer conference I have talked about. This is probably the third year, and that's 360 iDev. It's a fantastic conference that you should definitely check out. It's had guests that we've had on the show, like Joe Chaplinski, Ben Chatelaine. We've even had the organizer, John Wilker, on the show just talking about conferences and, and how they've gone uh, last year. It's a really good conference. I'm planning on going in person, regardless of whether I speak or not. And you should you should definitely do it too. They do have a remote option as well. And if you use the code Empower Apps, then you will get twenty percent off. So I highly recommend taking this opportunity right now. Go to three sixty iDev, get a ticket for the show as soon as you can. You get twenty percent off. It's in Denver or remote. It's up to you. Whatever you want to do. There's going to be a great set of guests. I can guarantee that we've had some of those guests on. Folks like Ariel Michelli from. App figures and folks like Joe Chaplinski, Ben Chatelaine, and more. So take some time, go to 360 iDev, and I am really looking forward. Let me know if you are going, because I am really looking forward to seeing you there. Thanks. Yeah. I, so, what I would typically do, just kind of giving my side of the story, is I I would never mock health store. I would create a protocol which does whatever I need it to do, and then make sure that health health store, for instance, implements it. And then when I mock the protocol, I only need to mock what that protocol does, as opposed to everything that health store does. That's the way I I have typically done it when I need it. I will create a separate protocol and not do everything the health store does because I don't need it. So yeah, I but I I do like I do like that approach with closures. I, I think I want to try that out a little bit more. Is there any concerns with like garbage collection and things like that, like holding on to it, especially if like the clo- the function is like on it is it instance method as opposed to a static method Do you know what i mean yeah but i got it so usually i uh 
I I define the dependencies struct. So I use value types here. I define the dependencies okay. struct in the uh, in view model, and just uh, this dependencies struct define just fills closures. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So then there's no concern because it's just right. That makes total sense. Just uh, want to mention that there is a great article how to control the world that uh, describes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was details. just about to ask about that. I was just about to ask about that. But I was going to say one of the things you mentioned in your article is the point free method, which I've heard about before uh, concerning like this world idea. You want to explain what that is and how that fits into what what you talk about in your article series? Yeah, so it's a really similar uh, concept. So just actually inspired by uh, this idea, define it in in the how to control the world article. Uh, so every feature, uh, every module that have any dependencies just has a, a struct called dependencies and define all the variables as all the fields as closures all the dependencies that it needs as closures. And uh, when you create the feature, you just pass this uh, value type, this struct, uh, instance of dependency struct, populated with the, all the functions from your services, from your st- storage stuff, from your networking stuff, all you need. Yeah, and we'll post a link to that. I think Point Free you know, usually have videos out, so there might be a video attached to this. So we'll definitely put that in the show notes as well. So let's talk about dub dub. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what are let's let's start off by talking about what do you expect from dub dub this year? Oh, not what you wish or what you're excited about. What do you think is going to come out this year from dub dub? Yeah, so I believe it's going to be a really huge dub dub this year because <laughs> I saw Swift logo on the dubdubs website and i'm not sure what does it mean but it's going to be huge yeah so as always uh my wishes for dubdub is a lot of stuff in swift ui yeah so i would like to see that uh, many of these bugs yeah i think that, that goes without saying swift ui it's gonna be something but what do you what in particular do you think is going to be the, the big, big deal? This, by the way, is the last episode before the WWDC episode. So I just want to let you know uh, a lot of pressure <laughs> on you as far as like what you predict here. Okay. So in terms of Swift UI, I would like to see, okay, as always, we want to see that all these bugs are fixed, but I'm not sure that that's going to happen. But yeah, one of the, my uh, wishes is to see something like a compositional layout, like uh, we have collection view and compositional layout in UI kit, but we don't have okay, something okay. similar in Swift UI. Explain, explain it. Cause I'm actually not quite familiar. What is compositional layout? What do you mean by that? So compositional layout is just a new declarative approach that allows you to build collection views in UI kit in really nice way. So it gives you a lot of ready-to-use small chunks of uh, layout, like like an App Store app on iOS built with compositional layout and all these sections, all this paging stuff, all this small... Uh, okay. Yeah, chunks is just uh, parts of compositional layout. And it's really easy to use uh, on UI kit, but we don't have similar stuff 
in UI kit, uh, in Swift UI, sorry. Are you talking like spanning, like that kind of stuff where you span something like rows and columns and things like that? Is that what you mean? Yep, not only spanning, but it's also have a lot of uh, ready-to-use animations, like paging okay. stuff. Yeah. I, I uh, just a side note, I've been doing a lot of HTML work lately, and I have, uh, like... Don't tell anybody this, but I really enjoy it. And I've been doing a lot of Tailwind CSS and like the the ability to like control stuff in CSS is just like so, so much faster and like simpler in a lot of ways, just like compared with UI kit or Swift UI, obviously. But yeah, I could see where you're coming from with like the road. Like I could do that easily in, in HTML, but I'm still a novice when it comes to collection views anyways. So maybe, maybe this is a good opportunity to, to like, if they do a compositional layout yeah. thing in Swift UI, actually, I want to go, I want to go next. I think that we're going to have a better navigation API. In I Swift hope UI. so. I think that's, yeah, I think that's going to be a big thing. I think, yeah, it's just, it's too locked down and too simple in Swift UI. I think this is, this is the, this is the time that they're going to, they're going to move that up into their feature set. What else do you want to? What else do you want to predict? Yeah, so navigation is uh, really important because right now it's just uh, based by UI navigation controller, and we don't have, uh, we don't, we can't do anything complex, right? Right. How do you do it? Do you still use UI navigation controller, or do you use the built-in stuff in Swift UI? Uh, so I built small abstraction on top of. Navigation link in Swift UI, but I don't want to do this okay. for my projects because th- this kind of stuff should be ready out of the box, right? Yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to predict when it comes to like Swift UI updates? I think these two things should be uh, really important, and it's time to focus on uh, navigation and uh, layouts, custom layout that we that should be easily uh, easier to build in Swift UI because right now. If you want to build something in HStack or VStack, it's really easy. But if you want to do something custom, it's kind of, <laughs> you, you have to... It's an uphill battle. Yep. I think we'll probably see, I guess my other two predictions are, if Prevents to SwiftUI on the Mac, I think we'll probably see that. I think there's going to be a big push for that. And I also think... Well, this is maybe more of a wish than an expectation, but I do think, I do think this is the time has come for a big watch OS year. We have not had a big watch OS year in three years at least. I'm hoping that we have some major improvements in watch OS nine because it's, uh, I don't know, it's a what do you call it? it? Has it hasn't gotten a lot of attention over the last yeah. few years? I feel like Apple Silicon and yeah. Anyway. In terms of uh, watches, I would like to see a watch face, a watch face API. So I would like to build my custom watch faces, and it will be really cool if we will be able to do that. Yeah, it doesn't have to be super custom. Like we're kind of getting there with with complications, but I feel like like layout, like like the watch faces kind of suck. Honestly, like. I don't know about you, but I'm a info info modular person, and like, there's no other watch face like that where you have all that info in a digital format. And I like, I don't know what do you, what's your watch face right now? I just use California at the moment. Okay, okay. With five complications. Yeah. What do you? What else do you wish this year for Dub Dub? So another thing uh, 
I would like to see SwiftUI-like implementation for core data. So declarative approach in core data without all this pain that we have. Yeah, or at least an abstraction layer on top of it. Like, kind of, you know, that's kind of what SwiftUI is, right? So, yeah, there's a lot, core data has a lot of weird objective seeness to it, I guess, so to speak. Anything else about WW you want to talk about before we close out? Nope. So the last, uh, the last thing I really hope to see, but this is like a wish, it's not expectation. The full featured Xcode on iPad OS. So have you played around with, I, I've not even touched Playgrounds on the iPad yet. I've not had the time. Have you? Yep, I played around, but yeah. So you can publish your apps into the app store. You can add Swift uh, packages to your project. You can do a lot of things and you can synchronize with your Xcode on desktop, but it's still something you are not going to use in your full-time work. So I want to counter your wish with a counter wish. I want to see a simpler Xcode on the Mac that, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I've, I've kind of said that in the last few years, but like without all the old cruft, it's limited, but in a good way, if you know what I mean. Like we don't, there's a lot of things we don't need in Xcode that make it slow that I don't think most modern developers actually need. You know what I mean? Like you could cut out, like this is an example, not a great example, but let's say you cut out interface builder, right? With a new version of Xcode. You can't build apps using storyboards. There's a lot of people who would like that and don't feel the need to do that anymore. And there's like, obviously there's a lot of apps out there that require it and that's fine. But like for, for new apps, like why do we need all this cruft that people aren't using anymore? So I don't know, like Xcode's massive, right? It has a lot of big history. We've talked about it with, with my episode with Dominic few weeks ago. So maybe we could use something a little bit simpler for total, like focused on Swift UI development, you know, have like whatever new core data thing they come out with and like make, make Xcode projects a lot simpler, streamline it. Yeah. I don't know. That's that that would be my wish just, and it doesn't have to be perfect. Just a step, just one step, like kind of like the music app. We all know the music app is not great, but it's better than iTunes used to be where it did 5,000 things. So just kind of take that step in that that direction. That would be nice to see. Are you going to California? Uh, nope. I didn't get the invitation this year. I didn't. I didn't register. So, but uh, we'll be, ch- I'll be chatting with Peter like I did last year from Compile Swift about the, keynote and the state of the union so stay tuned for that yeah i'm excited it's gonna be fun do you think we'll get glasses i hope so maybe uh maybe vr ar headset but not glasses okay yeah i kind of think even i think they could but they won't be great and they might be like they'll be they might be like the apple watch series zero or maybe like the, uh, what was that? Like, like that Mac mini development kit that they came out for Apple Silicon. It'll be like a test device that kind of does the bare minimum of what they want it to do. Yeah, I, I would like to get then SDK into the hands and just try to build something with that SDK. Oh, dude, if you plug in like health kit stuff and you wear that while you're working out, assuming it like it can handle physical activity while you work out, that would be... That would be awesome. You should do it. You should totally do that. Majid, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else you want to mention before we close out? Thanks. Thanks for having me again. I would like to come again and just uh, 
talk about the things we see uh, in DubDub. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, hey, if there's anybody I need to talk about SwiftUI too, so definitely folks should check out your blog, uh, Swift with Majid. Anything else? Where can people find you online? So you can find me on Twitter also. So this is twitter.com slash Majid, and you can uh, just follow me, follow my blog, swiftismajid.com. And it's uh, at M-E-C-I-D. Did I get that right? Yep. Yeah, you, you can also find it on uh, swiftismajid.com in the about section. So check, this, uh, check the show notes. Uh, we'll have all the links there. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks, June 7th, June 8th. We'll release that episode uh, with me and Peter probably doing a cross crossover like we did last year, uh, talking about the State of the Union, talking about the keynote. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel or the podcast wherever you're listening to. And if there's any topic you want me to cover, let me know. I'll probably be I'll probably be scheduling guests this summer, depending on what we talk about at WWDC. So we'll, we'll stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and I look forward to talking to you again. Bye, everybody. Bye.